The more things change, the more things remain the same. Human nature is human nature is human nature across time and across cultures. I remember once as a little kid, as young as you guys here in the front over here, watching a PBS documentary with my parents about these strange and seemingly alien people who lived in the jungle in thatch houses that were up on stilts. And everything about them was different. The language they spoke was different. The clothes that they wore, the food that they were preparing, the types of homes in which they lived. It was so intriguing. I wondered about these mysterious people. And then the host of the show said that we were going to be able to eavesdrop on one of these families. They had a a camera in their home, and we were going to know what they were talking about through subtitles. And I wondered what strange and different things was this family going to talk about? Of what was their world comprised? What is important to them? And so the subtitles started coming up, and it was the father talking to one of his sons, and he said, stop picking on your sister. Get over here, sit down, and eat your dinner. On the one hand, it was kind of disappointing. On the other hand, it was wonderfully reassuring. People are people wherever you go. We all basically want the same things. We're concerned about the same things, and we struggle with the same things. The first reading today that Mrs. Trenner read for us, wonderful, wonderful reading from Isaiah, exemplifies us yet once again. It's a great reading. It's a great reading. And uh, written by the prophet Isaiah, of whom we have a window over here, for those of you who can see it, sorry guys, you can see it when you go up for communion, but this is Isaiah, the second set of three windows here. Uh, Isaiah, as notice he's holding the, the paper that says, and he shall be called Emmanuel, and up above him we see the Christ child, because Isaiah is the one who predicted the coming of the Messiah, right, that he would be born. That's why he's so important to us in this Advent season. As we prepare for the coming of Jesus, we haul Isaiah out and help us put us in the right mindset. Interestingly, he wrote about 900 B.C., 900 years before the birth of Christ. That's almost 3,000 years ago. And he was struggling with the things I regularly, regularly hear people say they're struggling with today, with which I struggle. And he uses almost the same words. Why, God? Why do you let people do evil in the world? Why don't you put the fear of yourself into their hearts? Change people, God. Do something. Why do you let so many people not pay attention to you? Why are so many of our brothers and sisters not with us here at this Mass today? I worry about my nation. We seem to have gone bonkers. And I worry about me. Why do you let me sin so much? I have been working on my most wretched sin for years. Why do you give me the freedom to do such stupid things? 
things in the long run that I know I don't want to do. Though my sin makes all kinds of promises, I know ultimately they're going to make me feel worse. What's going on? God, take control. All the time people ask why God doesn't get rid of bad people, almost as often people, got, people ask, why doesn't God just take my will so that I will not sin again? Honestly, that would probably be about the worst thing that could happen to you. It's not too far away from the tragedy that's happening on our college campuses right now. You've heard the stories about safe spaces on our campuses where students can go if they feel hurt or betrayed or feel afraid of things that are happening in the world or in the news or which was spoken to them in their presence. If we really wanted to help these students, we wouldn't be sheltering them from difficult emotions in dealing with the world. We would be equipping them to cope with it, to learn how to accept that there are different views than yours. We would teach them how to debate their point of view and not simply have slogans, which is the enemy of thought, or shout down your opponent, or ban them, or simply walk away. In other words, how to be civil. We need the same challenges with our sins. If God took away our desire and our ability to sin, what would we learn? Where would the merit be? How would that affect our ability to actually be good, strive for goodness, if we had no choice in the matter? I remember the first time my dog Sebastian came across a skunk. We were walking around the parish grounds in the fenced-in area, and he was off the leash, and I, I saw the skunk about the same time Sebastian did, and I said, Sebastian, come here. And I put on my best authoritative voice, get over here right now. And you could kind of see he's debating. There's something fun to chase over there, or I could come and stand by you. In the court, yeah, should I stay or should I go? And he chose to go. He shot off. It was not a pretty sight. But that's the price of having a living being with you, right? If you want a dog that listens to you perfectly, get a plush toy. God doesn't want a world full of plush toys. He wants you. And he wants you to freely choose him. The choice for him is only valid if we also have the choice to say, I choose me over you, God. The choice for God must be the same as a choice of a spouse. Against all other choices, I choose you freely, faithfully, fruitfully, and totally. So for those sins that each of us carry about, especially that one particular pernicious and tenacious awful one, the one we're ashamed to admit or that we're weak before, that each one of us tries to shake our whole lives, every time you repudiate it, every time you are successful in avoiding it, every time you regret it, every time you do not give in to despair about it, every time you have the courage to once again pick up that mess and go to confession, you choose God. 
freely. You grow a little stronger in goodness, faithfully. You grow a little further over from being a slave to sin to being an unwilling tool, totally. Julian of Norwich Norwich talks about this, what happens when the faithful soul finds itself in sin. He said, what happens when you're in sin? You feel bad and you want to reconnect with God. So maybe you ask God, oh God, please forgive me. You pray a little bit more. You're a little bit more earnest. You think about this all the time and about God and your relationship. And maybe then you finally come to Mass and you hand over that sin to God. And in confession, that sin entrusted to God is transformed into a badge of honor because you sought God out so tenaciously. And don't mishear me. I don't mean to say that we sin in order to grow closer to God. That's dangerous and deceptive. But when sin happens, when entrusted to God, God can bring goodness even out of sin. In this Advent season, we symbolically prepare ourselves to meet Christ while practicing to meet Christ at the end of this life. In Advent, we work at our faith a little bit more earnestly, particularly in the practices of charity and forgiveness of sins, that we might, through our actions, show God and others that even when we mess up, our devotion is to God, freely, faithfully, fruitfully, and totally.